Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication strategies. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Start for Your Podcast. I'm Frank Gruber, the co-founder and co-CEO of Established, co-founder of Established Ventures, and the team behind the Start for the Year community and this very podcast. Thanks for being here again. Uh, in this episode, we're going to share an Ask Me Anything session with our very own Rich Malloy. He hosted it with Mark Nogger, and uh, it's got some great, great uh, thoughts and advice in there. Mark, if you're not familiar, is the co-founder of Startup Weekend. He was the uh, former CEO of Up Global, which uh, got basically acquired by Techstars, and so he worked at Techstars for a little while, and then he went over and started, uh, was a managing director at Telluride Ventures Accelerator, and he's currently a partner at Greater Colorado Venture Fund, which is investing in some really great companies all around rural Colorado. He definitely uh, knows startups, he knows entrepreneurship, and he, he definitely knows communities. So excited to have him joining his, us here shortly. But in the meantime, I wanted to get you hyped up in our community about our our annual summit, which brings our entire community together. It's coming up here soon. Usually it'd be this time of the year in the fall. We decided to push it this year due to the pandemic. It'll be happening in January 2022 in a very exciting location. It'll also include our awards, which uh, for many of you know, we bring 100 companies together uh, for a chance to pitch their way to startup of the year glory. Uh, there's opportunities for companies to connect, showcase, and potentially take home that title, which is very exciting. A uh, number of, of prizes and potential investments included in that, and uh, just an opportunity to, to build uh, relationships that uh, could last for a very long time. So excited about that. Going to have more announcements soon, but in the meantime, save the dates. It's coming out here in January mid to end January, end of January. So be ready for that. And we'll be announcing it very soon uh, on the pod here. So, all right, now let's catch up with uh, Mark Nogger of the Greater Colorado Venture Fund with Rich Malloy from our team. Uh, Mark, tell us a little bit about your journey and tell us about Greater Colorado Venture Fund. Um, yeah, sure thing. It's, uh, it's, it's been a wild ride. I've been Global Entrepreneurship Week. You said that. And I was like, man, we were part of the very first one that was initiative originally kind of spearheaded or led and supported by Kauffman Foundation. And um, I remember when we were building Startup Weekend, we did 13 events at one time. And for us, that was in 2008, I think. And we printed off the t-shirts and you could list all the Startup Weekends happening in one weekend. And wow. For us, that was like the big deal as a growing startup <laughs> to be able to list more than one event. And, uh, you know, I think fast forward over the years, we ended up having hundreds of events at uh, a time just in this one or two week period. So yeah, very fitting. Um, and a that is a little bit of context about my journey with Startup Weekend, um, and uh, which ultimately led me to going from a truly global platform, um, helping support events and entrepreneurs around the world to a very local. I came, I grew up in a, a small rural community, um, had found my opportunity to come back to a, a small rural context mm -hmm. and get my hands dirty again as a community builder and this time as an investor. So ran an accelerator for a little while in Telluride, supporting the region. And then um, with the Greater Colorado Venture Fund kind of stumbled into this larger question of how do we make ventures and startups accessible and how do we make them work in all of rural America? Um, it's, it's a you know, huge problem that I think is systemic to a lot of the dynamics that we see today. 
in in a lot of the country. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, uh, you know, the um, uh, the focus for for Greater Colorado Venture Fund, you know, I think is a is a great experiment, um, and I think it will be a, a wonderful experiment. Um, you know, we, you know, you ran your your pitch series um, this summer. We helped you with, we, we were supported you on on the production of that as well, um, and that was awesome. I mean, to see that entrepreneurship everywhere in every corner, just of Colorado as a microcosm for the rest of America. And to see the businesses that people are building and developing from national media platforms in Eagle, Colorado to, uh, you know, to ski gear, which is what you would, you would expect for Colorado. Right. But, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was really an amazing turnout of, uh, you know, of, of entrepreneurship all across America, all across Colorado. Right. Yeah. It's, it's fun to see. We actually, uh, one of got, over the weekend, we got to announce our first acquisition in the portfolio. Really, uh, Rever, based in Eagle, which is a software company, basically uh, 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 working with a, a new company called Komodo, but mapping your rides for motorcycles and e-bikes. Um, think of it, Strava for motorcycles. Yep, yep. No, um, I remember Rever. I remember looking at Rever um, a few times as they were as they were fundraising. So awesome, cool. Congratulations. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I think it just goes to show, you know, companies can be built truly from anywhere today and in a COVID world, I think COVID, if anything, has kind of fast-forwarded, leapfrogged our our mission, our thesis, at least five years. The whole idea that you can live and work anywhere, um, the whole idea that you don't have to be in a hub, even if you get acquired. Um, I think that's a core component of, of even that deal specifically, which it's it's fun to see the the landscape shifting and what that can do in terms of opportunity, but also more systemic to our society as well. Yeah. No, absolutely. And definitely very relevant given the, um, uh, you know, given the recent election and it just, you know, seeing the, the divide in the country um, is so hard to see. Um, and so seeing the op- that there's opportunity for entrepreneurship everywhere uh, is really what drives me on a daily basis and being able to lift that up in the underserved markets. Exactly. You know, I like to say this, um, you said it a number of times, but it's not the Republicans, it's not the Democrats. I don't care what side of politics you are, but if we think about the solutions going forward and who's going to do that, it's going to be the entrepreneurs, right? Yes. That's how many of our communities were created in the first place. And if you think about where do opportunities, jobs, education, you know, it is the entrepreneurs who create those opportunities and they are the fabric of, of our economies and our, and our societies. So yep. uh, it's almost a responsibility, I think, that we have to figure out how do we enable entrepreneurship on a much different scale than the statistics are pretty dismal, right? And and most folks on this call probably heard them all, so I won't repeat them. But whether it's across the diversity or the, the geographies, it's it's all very concentrated right now. And yep. this day and age, there's no no need for it, and yep. we're all seeing that change. Totally, totally. You know, net. So we talked about this during our our intro and with Crystal Peterson from .us, but um, net new job creation always comes from small businesses. And period, you know, big companies hire and then lay off, but net new job creation, small businesses, that's where new jobs come from in this country. So, you know, building that and growing that is, is critical. So along those lines of building that and growing that, right. You know, um, venture capital, you know, the traditional two and 20 model is not for everyone. And as an investor myself, I tell this to startups all the time that you have to make sure that this is the right fuel for what you're doing. And it's not going to, not going to break you, right? Because I want to see you as a startup, you know, what, you know, watching this, I want to see what you're doing in the world. 
So you have a great hybrid model. Tell us about tell us about the the hybrid model that that Greater Colorado Venture Fund has. Yeah. So um, uh, right, you, you hit the statistics again. I won't go into it, but um, if if it's it's a lot of traditional VC plays on the power law theories, the the money ball dynamics, right? Where the principle is that a couple, one or two out of call it ten or even a hundred investments will be the ones that return the fund and then some. Um, and so that requires, as an investor, an institutional one, you have to play into those statistics and that reality. And every single one of the bets that you make um, has to have that potential to be that breakout unicorn type, of, right? Um, and I think we've seen so many of the dynamics get get really sideways. And there's a lot of perverse behaviors, incentives, and and just dynamics between even investors and companies and founders and employees and other stakeholders um, that can be more detrimental to a company than actually helpful. Um, because, you know, I like to ask this question, since when, would, since when is it a bad thing to have be focused on building a five or a 10 million or even a $20 million business, right? Totally. In, <laughs> right. in Silicon Valley, that's, but you won't get on the radar of any of the names that we all know. Totally. Uh, if, that's, if that's your focus. So the question is, how do we still have a high risk way that combats that but it widens the aperture of who VC can serve. And so our hybrid approach has really been pioneered by IndieVC, our friends over there, Bryce and team. Um, they've done an incredible job looking at uh, revenue-based investments. And uh, the whole principle there is, can you take a high-risk position um, where there's an initial investment upfront, but there's a very structured call it redemption or buyout of equity over time. Yeah. So we would come in as an equity investor and then the founders can buy us off of the cap table effectively yeah. over time at a predetermined amount in that cap. So at the end of the investment, you know, a good kind of sweet spot is three X over five years. And so after that, right, the founders can more or less wipe their hands clean um, and own their business outright. And so if you just want to have a great lifestyle business that's operating at some level of growth and scale, that is an incredible option that traditional VC and equity just doesn't, doesn't enable. Um, in rural, also, we see a lot of folks who just want to hand their businesses down from one generation to another, right? That's culturally much more akin to what keeps the lifeblood of these communities together. Yeah. Um, and VCs can't touch that, right? Yeah. Why? Because their investments are predicated on an exit event, which... Again, not not trying to uh, you know bash traditional VC. I'm just saying that there's a bunch of great businesses that it can't serve. Yeah. And so, when it comes to this hybrid model, um, how do we think about you know more or less just by the structure of our investment, having a couple other tools in the tool chest that widen the aperture of who we can actually serve and the types yep. of companies and founders. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I love it. And I, and I love revenue-based investing. I think it's, it's an amazing, um, uh, it's an amazing tool and it's awesome to have that. Um, so when we can, we can keep digging on that, but we do have a question from, uh, from one of the audience members. Um, what are the three main criteria you consider when investing half a million or more in an early stage fintech company and why? Um, so maybe a little bit about our fund. We're a $17.5 million fund. So um, early stage fund, we have a seed stage focus. Our average check size is about $300,000 right now. Um, we have made, let's see, 23 investments into 18 companies to date, and we're about two and a half years old. 
Um, so just kind of giving you a, a little bit of context of where our fund is at. Most funds have a five-year investment period and then a five-year management period. Um, we can talk about why that's a silly structure as well. <laughs> We've inherited from previous generations, but it is the reality. Um, so to your question specifically, you have to understand um, maybe who your investors are. For us, uh, a $500,000 or larger investment, our fund is just uh, smaller. Um, our average check size is a little bit lower. Um, for follow-on, we do have a reserve for follow-on investments, which do go above. Um, so making sure you understand the dynamics that your investors or potential investors are dealing with is a great thing, right? So fit maybe is, is answer number one, fit. <laughs> is it a fit for the fund strategy? So really understanding the dynamics that I just, in context that I just shared. Um, so for example, where we're at, but, um, you know, the second answer, it really is going to come down to, and, and Techstars likes to uh, champion this, but team, 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 product market. <laughs> and <laughs> team's in there three times because this is a people game. This is a human game, right? We all know entrepreneurship is one of the hardest things you could ever do in your life. Um, and it's, it's making sure that you have folks, even if it's not their first time at bat here, um, have folks that understand the tenacity to make it through the good days, the bad days, know how to ask for help. They're able to really understand and take feedback. Um, so I think you're looking for a lot of that clearly in something when you get into industry specifics, you want to see team with experience in a market itself, mm -hmm. right? Do you know, do you have some of the networks? Do you know some of the folks um, on the product and market side? Uh, I think those are a little more straightforward, but um, when you're talking checks of you know three five hundred plus um we're going to want to see a some real evidence of early product market fit so customers using your product telling their friends some healthy metric unit economics this kind of gets into maybe a two and three answer um real healthy unit economics a command of your business do you know what your customer acquisition cost is um have you been around long enough to understand what is the lifetime value do you understand related to that the churn rate or attrition rate over time of your customers um do you know who your customers really are can you define the segment do you know how to go find another hundred or a thousand or a million of those um and what's the clear strategy to do that um, so i think that's in a nutshell um a, a good synopsis of where we'd start any conversation with with a fintech company seeking that Kind of capital. That's a fantastic synopsis. I think that's relevant for any company, not even just not even fintech. You know, even that that you know, have you have you experienced any churn yet? And and what you know, when, once you have the traction, the next question becomes churn. And do you, you know, and have you experienced any churn? And what is that like? And and why? Or if you haven't, why not? Is it too too soon to know? Um, and then where are you going to get the next hundred? You know, hundred thousand million customers, depending on what your price is, is the I think the the asterisk there. Um, so that was awesome. I love that. Great advice. Uh, I have another great question here. Can you talk about how companies are positioning to potential investors uh, a 2020 slowdown? Right. So how, you know, talking about their own 2020 slowdown to their potential investors um, and hitting growth targets for expansion due to, COVID, due to COVID impacts on their industry. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, makes a ton of sense. And with our portfolio, we did um, back in uh, end of March of this year with our, I think we had like 13 companies in our portfolio. Then um, we did a kind of a fire drill. And the number one thing that we, we beat the drum on was agility, agility planning. And so the only failure here as an entrepreneur is to not have many plans, multiple plans, 
you know, across a couple different scenarios. Um, and the other failure would be to not communicate that with your stakeholders or even potential stakeholders. Um, so digging into the plan that we would suggest, any founder, just good agility planning exercise, uh, three scenarios, right? What do you think, given the information you have today, is your optimistic scenario, right? That's probably if you can anticipate some sort of impact, right? Take that into account. Don't, you know, have the delusional, over-optimistic uh, this isn't the time for that right now with your stakeholders, be honest, but have an optimistic one, um, have a median one, and then have a kind of worst case scenario. one. And in each of those, have a bullet point list and then a, a three-year pro forma that models those three different things. Mm. But the bullet point list would include things like, okay, in the median projection, we're going to cut, we're going to assume 50% revenue loss. Um, here are the changes we're going to make to the team, to the product, to the marketing, right? What are the bullet points? What are the dollars associated with it? What are the timelines? Because not all of it might happen at once, right? Because we get information on a very dynamic basis um, as entrepreneurs, and we need to make decisions as quickly as we can in real time. It doesn't just, you don't just turn around one day if you're on top of this stuff and make all these huge cuts or, you know, shift to plan B, Right. The reality is you're going to be in some version between the three. You know, the other one is a worst case scenario. Really like for a lot of companies that looks like pairing back. How do you service your current customers? How do you make sure that you're not burning a ton of money and really have your arms around runway, the capital needs to keep the business going um, in a lean and mean kind of fashion and, and know who the people are or the roles that you might have to let go and be thoughtful about those. And then have that plan, communicate it with a few folks on your leadership team and then with your investors or stakeholders, um, communicate that plan. Everybody will feel better about it, including your team, especially your team members. Yeah. Um, and then file that plan away and then revisit it on a weekly basis, right? Just look at it. Know you have the plan there. And then on a monthly basis, I'd actually go back and maybe even update that pro forma in those three right. scenarios. Right. Because once you have it, you can kind of take that information in a monthly, monthly basis as a decent cadence, especially right now with so much uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Great advice. Very good. Um, next question. How do we change the way entrepreneurs look at investors? I feel like we've been trained to look for VCs and the classic model and not the revenue-based model. Yeah. It's a great question. Um, one of the funniest things when we first started doing the revenue-based investments, we would talk to entrepreneurs and we'd tell them that we're doing this new thing. These RBIs is what we call the revenue-based investments. Um, not a baseball pun. The, uh, so the education cycle was there a little bit and we'd get the, we'd get the equity pitches from folks doing the circuit on the normal sure. uh, VC pitch. And then we'd tell them about the RBI thing, explain to it. We even share, you can find it on our blog, greatercolorado.bc. We have a whole blog around alternative capital, but we had a, we have a spreadsheet that we share to model out based on an entrepreneur's performance. And we'd give that pro forma to some entrepreneurs and they'd be like, wait, 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 let me revise my projections. And we'd get a second pro forma back that was much more conservative. And it was really funny to see that because all of a sudden, if you're overly ambitious as an entrepreneur, that could bite you in the butt when you go to sign terms on a deal like this. Yep. And the beautiful thing in that is it drives alignment, alignment around really like one big thing that I love, which is profitability. That becomes the goalpost, not growth. Um, and that's a philosophy we take with all of our investments. Um, and I think it's also a, a shift in dynamics. So as entrepreneurs try to 
again, back, back to the fit note from the first question, know who your investors are and know what they're looking for, be able to speak to that. Um, so if you're talking to somebody who does revenue-based investments, know that. Um, the second thing maybe I wanna add there is entrepreneurs, you guys should be really interviewing your investors just as much as you might a new hire for your team, right? These are partners that you're bringing into your business. Um, and if you really have a great opportunity in front of you, right? You wanna go through the dating phase. Don't. <laughs> Don't get married. Don't fast forward too soon um, without understanding what everybody's goals are and expectations and even philosophical differences. Because, you know, some investors might be if you're going, if you're shooting for the swinging for the fences, right? Find investors that are going to swing for the fences with you. Um, and if you're focused on a little bit more of, hey, a $20 million company is what we see a path to right now. And that's realistic. Find investors that are going to align with you on that. Sure. Maybe you find the the billion dollar path down the road, but be realistic with yourself and with everybody else and make sure that philosophically and practically there's a lot of alignment early on. Yeah. Fantastic. You know, and you can, and uh, entrepreneurs can drive that in these meetings, right. And say, tell us about yourselves. Tell us about your backgrounds. Tell us about ways you've helped other, you know, other portfolio companies. You could even, you know, I've had, I've had founders request meetings after we've had a few diligence meetings and say, you know, now we would like to put the spotlight on you and talk to you about some of our questions. And I, 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 I like to say actually the, uh, uh, to entrepreneurs, um, if you ever feel like you're trying to impress investors, right? Like you can feel that when you're putting on a little bit of a show and you're, you're putting yourself on the edge of even things that you're saying as entrepreneurs, we're, we're, we're wired to do that. We're wired to believe in things that aren't true yet. Right. That's by definition <laughs> who we are, but if you feel like you're on that edge of trying to impress, I would, I would say two things. You are either talking to the wrong people, the wrong potential partners for your company, or you may not be ready for investment hmm. with those people or at that stage, or your company is not ready yet. And entrepreneurs don't like to hear that either, but it might mean that you don't have enough leverage. You don't have enough traction. You know, your company's not quite where it needs to be. Yep. to have the leverage to find good partners. And I know that there's a catch 22 in there because, you know, sometimes it does take money to, to bring these things to fruition. But again, if you approach it from that philosophy, then you know when you're crossing the line versus cornering, you're putting yourself into a wall and potentially accepting deals or over-promising or bringing in the wrong partners early on. Yep. 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 So this is, um, teeing up actually the next question pretty well, right? So if you're at a stage with zero traction, do you and potentially others follow market adoption rates? Well, um, do you follow other companies with market adoption rates? Um, right. Everything's a data point. Um, data points are really useful, but again, it, it, this depends so much on the business itself. Um, but I wouldn't get too stuck in the, well, three other companies did X, Y, and Z. I would uh, back to the, where's the failure point here? The failure point is to not know those data points and incorporate them in how you think about and communicate about your business. Um, that's the failure point. Um, the other failure point might be to try to copy exactly what everybody else is doing mm -hmm. because now you're just another fish in the sea. Um, you know, then, then the narrative needs to be about how you're going to completely squash and, I, I philosophically, I, I approach investments in, in company building more from a, don't worry too much about what your competitors are doing. Um, 
right? It's if, if you are in a, in, especially if you're in a disruptive industry or segment. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, another question, what are the most important metrics you look at when deciding on an investment? Um, we covered a number of those metrics, but it really has to do with founders. The founders that I love, um, for example, um, we've recently chatted with a woman who just had the amazing command of her business. We hopped on the phone. She had her performa out. It wasn't complicated. She walked us through it and she could include just boom, 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 boom. Here are the assumptions about how I acquire customers, how long they stay with us, how much they're worth to us, you know, where to invest in you know, continued growth, um, who the next three or four hires were, right? Just the command around all the different asset aspects of her business was spot on. And that is just impressive mm -hmm. um, when a founder has done that work. And it's, it's really obvious when founders haven't. Um, and maybe I don't want to over trivialize that because it's tough as, as an entrepreneur, as a founder, you're, you're in the trenches every day. Right. And, and I think um, where you get trapped is when you're in those weeds, when you can't zoom out, you can't step back and look at, all right, what are the five functions of my business? Um, what are the things that, you know, dry are driving each of them? How do they each need to grow, especially if we take on more capital, right? Um, it's hard to do that. And I think as founders, the maybe piece of advice there is you need outsiders, you need advisors, you need people who can help, um, who have some experience doing this, who can give you that feedback on what are those important metrics? Are those good assumptions? Right. Because nobody knows if, every, if anybody had the playbook for your business of exactly how to do it. Right. We'd all be out of a job <laughs> because, uh, you know, that's part of the journey of entrepreneurship is you got to figure it out. Um, and and if, if there was a playbook, then everybody executed, it, then it would change. Yeah, exactly. Be... Completely wrong. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, we've got two more good questions. We've got five minutes left. Um, so I think we're on pace here. Um, we'll welcome any more question, final questions here. Um, what would your advice uh, to company, what would be your advice to companies who try to secure a seed investment with little or no financial traction? Um, I, so this is a tough one. This is that catch 22 spot. Um, mm. And I really think, so it depends on the business, right? But one of the things that I see a lot are companies coming in and they're outsourcing all of their technology, but they're a technology company. So one of the things I would ask is, are you outsourcing one of the core competencies of your company? If the answer is yes, I would say you might need to spend more time finding a co-founder or a partner who can really help be a part of that origin story and take that same level of risk that you are. If you don't have somebody who fulfills your core competency as a company, um, who's on your team taking that risk early on, um, that is one big area to look. The second area to look is your actual capitalization needs. Almost every company, especially in the equity lens that we talk to, comes in thinking they need X. Um, but the reality is if you're really early on, the valuation that you would even get if you found a Sharky investor to do a deal with you, like at the terms that you wanted originally, right? Like you're giving up too much ownership. This isn't how, you know, Shark Tank is not reality. You don't <laughs> want to have an investor in your very first round of funding owning, half, you know, 49% of your cap table, right? Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, but look at maybe taking what is, what is truly the minimum amount of capital that you need and think about it as maybe two financing rounds, two capital rounds. So wait until you have more leverage to raise more money at better terms. And for the short term being, 
how do you get out and get that real proof of concept MVP or, or demonstrate what we call product market fit, right? And that's where you see organic customers coming in at a predictable and predictable behavior on, on kind of the front end in the middle and at the end of that, that customer life cycle. That's how I give my real quick product market fit. Awesome. So. Awesome. And this is a shameless plug, but uh, tomorrow I'm giving a talk about the psychology of seed stage fundraising and that, you know, that, and that, that target raise amount is one of the things that I cover for sure. So definitely aligned with yeah. you there. Yeah. Um, good one to tune into. But sure. Yeah. <laughs> last question. Last question here. We've got two minutes left. Um, investors ask all the time how you differentiate yourselves from competitors. What happens when you're parallel and going to market with a similar strategy? How do you convey there are some advantages and differentiators, but the competitors may be able to do them also? Um, right. It's good to be real about that. It sounds like you're very honest, um, but then it comes down to defensibility um, and maybe IP. So IP is one of them. All right, that's how you become defensible. Are there specific things that are truly different and unique from a consumer lens? Not an investor lens, not a founder lens, but think about it. What's truly different from a consumer lens? Anchor on that. Um, and then the second piece would be do you, uh, the experience or network on your team, right? If you have two equal horses, but one jockey has been doing this their whole life and won a ton of races and one's brand new to this, and or maybe won one race before, right? Which jockey and horse combo are you going to bet on? So um, those would be the two, two primary ways to do it. And if you don't have either of those, um, keep, getting, keep getting creative. Um, keep, keep pushing on that because if you don't have it now, you're going to still need to figure that out at some point in the future. Yep. By the way, money is not a differentiator. Capitalization. <laughs> well said. Well said. Awesome. Uh, Mark, this has, been, this has been amazing. You know, um, uh, and oh, we have one, one last question, come in. Quick question, may have already been answered, has not been answered. Do you need a co-founder to help with raising capital? Statistics show um, businesses with uh, uh, more than one person, non-solo, are more successful. So, I mean, just look at the statistics if you are a solo, solo co-founder. To raise capital, I don't think there's a direct correlation there. I'd look at company success rates more than I'd look at actual capital and fundraising. In general, I like to come back to you're committing a significant portion of your life to this. Do it with other good people and take the time to find those good people and those good partnerships because it's hard. It's really hard. And having the right people by your side makes all the difference. We've come full circle from the first question to the last. Yeah. Team, 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 <laughs> product market. <laughs> awesome. Mark, it's always a pleasure. Um, thank you. I can't wait till we can hang in person. Uh, but uh, you know, in the meantime, stay safe. And thank you so much for all that you do for entrepreneurs everywhere. All right. Thanks so much, Mark and Rich. We love our friends out in Colorado um, doing some great things and enjoying uh, enjoyed listening to the conversation. So uh, thanks so much for sharing. And uh, if you were listening and you found it, the information helpful, please do share it uh, with anyone you think might find it helpful. Uh, sharing is caring. We want to spread the love and spread the knowledge and help as many startup founders along the way. All right. And before we get going, I know we're almost at time here. Finally, wanted to spread the word again about a company we've been working with, and we think our listeners here on the pod could, you know, really benefit from. That company is Open Grants. Uh, it's a platform. Uh, it allows you to search uh, this expert marketplace, and it helps you unlock non-dilutive U.S. funding uh, for your organization. So, pretty exciting if you're looking for that kind of stuff. It could empower your next startup or nonprofit. Um, just go to OpenGrants.io forward slash established and sign up today for an ability to search for grants. All right.
that's it, our show this week. I hope you uh, enjoyed it. Please come back and listen again soon. We, uh, we are continuing to bring you some of the most interesting investors and thought leaders and, and startup founders from our community, and I hope you're enjoying it. If you have a startup idea and you want to get it going, today is the best day to start up. Not tomorrow, not the next day. Get it going, get it started, and in the, in the process, we'd love to have you join our community. Just go to SOTY.link forward slash apply to join. It's free. We have a lot of different opportunities to connect and build, continue to build your network and, and knowledge base as you, you're on your journey together with us. All right. Until next time, I'm Frank Gruber signing off. Thanks again for listening. Wishing you the best of luck and future success in all of your ventures. Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe and we'll be back with another episode soon.